So this session is uh, dealing with the obstacle of um, relating to knowledge pridefully. And um, I really want to kind of settle down in light of some of the things that have been said earlier today, um, just regarding the, the need for clarity in the biblical gospel. And so this is, um, this is really how to relate while we're pursuing clarity and truth to, uh, and, and pursuing understanding and knowledge in the gospel itself, in the truth of it. And if, if we, the, the good thing about searching this thing out, if we do it in a perverted pursuit, we can come away with the wrong end. Even the knowledge that we're trying to pursue God with hunger in that, if we do it in, with a wrong motivation and a wrong heart, heart posture, then it can actually become a stumbling block to the gospel itself. And so this is what we're going to look at in pursuing knowledge. Um, so I, I want us to look at the scripture a little bit concerning truth and the knowledge of God. So we'll just get in the notes here. Point one, the God of truth. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He's not forsaken. His loving kindness and his truth toward my master is for me. The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Exodus 34 is when we have, um, we have Moses on Sinai with Yahweh, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and on the grandchildren the third and fourth generations. Psalm 25, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Psalm 31, and into your hand I commit my spirit. You've ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. You can read some of those other passages there. A, the Hebrew word for truth, emet, is, is derived from the word aman, where we get the word amen. Amen? Which means to confirm, support, uphold, or express certainty. Emet is used roughly 127 times in the Old Testament, and it means firmness or certainty. And so it's translated as truth or faithful, faithfulness, the majority of the time in the Old Testament. B, often in the Old Testament, the word emmet, when, when referring to God, is closely joined with God's merciful loving kindness in his relating to man. This highlights God's enduring reliability and commitment to his covenant promises 
in spite of man's unfaithful commitments, as well as shows his kindness and merciful love toward those who are bent to turn their own way. And so the truth of God, closely related to the truth of God in the Scripture, is this idea of loving kindness and mercy, because truth is what is in accordance with reality, right? And what is firm and what is in accordance with reality, it shows that God is required to relate to human beings in mercy in that thing. That shows a condition, the disconnect between who God is and who we are in his truth and mercy. We'll see how that plays out more with the issue of knowledge. See, in addition to a description of God himself and his relation to creation, the idea of Emmet is in turn required of men in relationship with him. And so men need truth to be in relationship with the God of truth. So Psalm 15 O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Psalm 51, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. And so out of this same word group, this this word group, truth, faithfulness, we, we get the word, the Hebrew word imunah, which is translated as faith or faithful. This term applies to God himself as well as his works and his words. Imunah is also used to refer to the lives of men relating to God and characteristic of those lives that are justified in God's sight. The truth and dependability of God and his word establishes a way for a response of trust and fidelity from the lives of men. And so I want us to see this, these general categories. The the point is not to do a study on language today, but like the, the point here is to see the general categories of that truth is related to faithfulness. And faith is, is a derivative of those categories, of, from that same wording, from that same thing. And we'll see how that plays out with the issue of pursuing it in our life and pursuing the knowledge of God. And so uh, th- there is an overlap of different words and different language. There's a chart there. You can look at that. But those are just some general categories of, of what we just looked at between the Old Testament and the New and so the truth of God is not, is not cornered in just an abstract corner of things, but it's demonstrated historically in God's faithfulness. Does that make sense? It's that God has spoken these things, and then he is, has demonstrated his faithfulness to that word in time and in space, in history, in covenants, right? And so it's not this, this 
thing of kind of floaty truth that's in a corner and that men can can just like kind of delve into the depths of it on, and if you're smart enough or you have enough knowledge or you're progressive or whatever that you can access this truth it's a truth that God has demonstrated historically and so our lives will see depend upon that as well the knowledge of God point two Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. The Old Testament and Hebrew thought, knowledge means coming to know the process of things or experience. It's more related to a way of hearing versus a a way of seeing. It's directly connected to God. And this knowledge is connected to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Read this quote here concerning knowledge. It is thus respectful and obedient acknowledgement of the power and grace and demand of God. This means that knowledge is not thought of in terms of the possession of information. It's possessed only in its exercise. Or actualization. Did you catch that? It's it's not thought of in terms of a possessing information, but it is possessed in its exercise. The Christian view of knowledge is thus largely determined by the Old Testament. An obedient and grateful acknowledgement of the deeds and demands of God is linked with knowledge of God and what He has done and demands. It is in keeping that this Christian knowledge is not a fixed possession, but develops in the life of the Christian as lasting obedience and reflection. For this reason, knowledge is regarded as a gift of grace, which marks the life of the Christian by determining its expression. And so when we turn to the New Testament, I I wanted to give a backdrop of truth, a backdrop of knowledge. And when we turn to the New Testament, we see this, these phrases throughout the the gospels and in the epistles that the there is knowledge and faith in a word of truth in a testimony and so ephesians 1 I'll, we'll just read a few of these I, I just put notes in here for you guys to look at more on your own but um, ephesians 1 in him you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Colossians 1, 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you, the heavens of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Page three. We've looked at Second Corinthians six. I'll just skip down. Uh, to I'll just skip through some of these, but it, but we see in Second Thessalonians two. We see that 
God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the setting part by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He called you through our gospel. 1 Timothy 2, the prayers and petitions for leaders, positions of government, um, and it's talking about God. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you, you guys can read some more of these passages here. Point four. Express pattern versus esoteric pursuits. So... One of the defining markers of Gnosticism, one of the, this movement that, that existed uh, during the New Testament time that rejected the apostolic witness, the, the, the things that the apostles were handed down by Jesus, um, one of the defining markers of this, this group that perverted it was that Salvation is brought about through the deliverance of man's ignorance by means of a secret knowledge. It's that the, the issue with man, and, and Hans was bringing this up yesterday, the issue with man is ignorance. And so knowledge is the solution. But it's there for a secret select few that can appropriate that knowledge for themselves. And so this was one of the defining markers of it. And so appropriating knowledge becomes a mechanism of salvation itself. It's when knowledge itself becomes what we relate to in our standing before God and it's the way that we orient relationships and, and do discipleship around that thing. And this is what this movement of Gnosticism um, did. And so I'll just read some of these quotes here. Um, these are from Gnostic texts. These are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke and which Didymus Thomas, uh, Judas Thomas wrote down. And he said, whoever finds the interpretation of these sayings will not taste death. When you know yourselves, then you'll be known. You'll understand that you are children of the living Father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you'll live in poverty. And you are the poverty. Another one here. What you seek after is within you. You just need to find it within you. All of the, the answer to all of it is within, right? If you bring forth what is within you, what you have will save you. Page four. The glaring feature of this pursuit of knowledge is that it assumes deliverance can be, can be reached from within or independence of an outside source of trust. Perceived master of his own destiny, man, in arrogance, undertakes the task of self-deliverance through strength and intellect, as if this process could bring about the life he seeks. And so 
this orientation looks for the answer within. The answer is with the appropriating understanding, appropriating knowledge. And the tendency of the human heart to do this is within all of us. It's, it's that we, we think that our sin is, is circumstantial or lacking. If we just understood this or we just understood that, then I, I wouldn't have done that. Or if I wasn't so tired and my context wasn't so good or whatever it is, then I wouldn't have committed this and this and fallen short in this. And the, the issue it really, at it, what it's at hand is that we don't trust God and we rebel against God. The issue is sin within our hearts, right? But it's so easy to relate to knowledge and the pursuit of that thing and set that thing up as the means of our own deliverance or set that thing up as the means of how we relate to God and how we determine maturity in others, and how we do discipleship. It's like, oh, this person just doesn't, they don't understand. They're just immature, and they just don't understand. But I, but I understand, and, and I have the, the knowledge of this. That, and I'm on my way to the deliverance. And so there's, there's all the perversions throughout church history of, of these things taking place. It's... Uh, even as early as origin, some of these early church fathers, it's those who are more practiced in their perceiving of things will ascend to higher places in salvation and destiny in the age to come. It's crazy, right? But the issue is pride on the inside. The issue is the human heart and the way that we relate in that, that way to, to knowledge. You guys following me? So how does this contrast with what we laid out before? If truth is an issue of God's faithfulness and demonstration historically, and the knowledge of God is not something off in the corner, but it's something that's, that's demonstrated out, It's going to be message and express pattern. The apostles were entrusted with a message and tradition founded on the law and the prophets based upon the suffering and sacrificial death of the Messiah prior to the glory of the inheritance to be given at the end of the age through the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. This historical testimony of tradition involved both a message and pattern or way of life exemplified by Jesus, the Messiah. Because faith involves a heartfelt commitment of trust as well as identification and participation, an identifiable way of life results from knowledge of the message. Repentance and trust in the gospel. We've looked at this many times yesterday and today that the Apostle Paul, he often appeals and speaks of his way of life as a model 
of faith to the communities that he's established. Right? We looked at some of these verses. Uh, one in 1 Corinthians 4 we looked at the other day. Therefore I exhort you to be imitators of me. For, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And so Paul sends Timothy to Corinth to remind the Corinthians of the way of life that Paul lived and says that Timothy walks that same way, and he's going to remind you guys of the pattern of life, the identifiable way of life that results from the knowledge of God in the gospel. Second Timothy 3. Now you, Timothy, followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Paul speaking to Timothy here, he, re, he reminds Timothy of his way of life, of what walking out faith looked like. And he's speaking back to Acts 14, likely was the time when Timothy actually received the gospel and Paul, that relationship began to happen between Paul and Timothy. And so what took place in Acts 14, you guys probably know the story of the, the uh, Jewish groups chased Paul down into another city, and they stoned him, and he was left for dead outside the city. And it says that the disciples came around him, and he got up and went back into the city. How, 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 many, how often do you see somebody who gets stoned just get up and walk, walk out? It's like such an intense thing that happened to Paul. And that is the likely the beginning of the relationship. Timothy saw that witness in Paul at the beginning. And he's, he's reminding him of that thing. This is also the beginning, likely the beginning time frame of the book of Galatians. When in Galatians, Paul says... Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Was not Christ Jesus publicly portrayed before you as crucified? It's that, that witness that Paul gave to that, that city. Now, the reason I wanted to start talking about this issue of knowledge and defining what truth was in faith and faithfulness is that the knowledge of God should lead us to trust and faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness, reliance upon God. It doesn't lead to the advancement of knowledge for the sake of our own deliverance based upon that thing. It should always lead us to trust 
in the God of truth who has demonstrated his truth historically and who is faithful to that word. And so his faithfulness calls us to put our trust in him and walk out faithfulness ourselves before him. And so this is why I said message and express pattern because it's a testimony of truth of God's covenant promises, but then there's also a express pattern of what faithfulness looks like in the life of a believer that's identifiable. Because Paul sends Timothy, he says, he's going to remind you of my ways, that, that my walk of life is actually, I can, people can identify how I walk it out, how I walk out the, the trusting God before others. We've talked a lot about the cross the last two days. And I wanted to to just kind of pause here. And I was thinking about this today concerning crucifixion and a little bit of the history of what's involved. That um, historically, crucifixion kind of did two things. If you think about the method of this capital punishment, it's a little bit kind of weird to, to think about it, but um, the Romans often would, would crucify these messianic groups that were rising up in, in Jesus' day of these men who would revolt against Rome. And the reason why these men were revolting against Rome, a lot of them saw themselves as we're going to fulfill the covenant promises of God and we're just waiting on the guy who's going to rise up in strength and lead us forward to fulfill it, right? And so the Roman crucifixion with these guys was the political statement of you're weak, you have nothing. We're going to nail you to a tree and let you hang there and let the birds come after you until you gasp for air, until you die. It's the ultimate statement of you're rising up in the flesh and strength is nothing. You're nothing. Right? Politically. Historically. Right? But the Romans, the, the cross was not necessarily for the means of, of crucifixion was not necessarily for the guy that's convicted. Because it'd be so easy just to kill that guy, right? Why do they go through all the trouble of nailing people to trees in public places? Why go through all that trouble? Right? Okay. This is a little bit morbid. I'm, I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to, to get us to think about this. The crucifixion was a R- Roman public service announcement. It was a Roman statement to this is what happens to guys who try to rise up in their own strength. Right? Right? 
because it was, it was not necessarily for that guy because they could have just killed that guy. But the reason they took that guy out in public, it's a public service announcement for everybody else to see. He's put on display in front of others to see what happens, right? Why did God choose that method of execution of his son? Why did he choose that way? It's the statement of no confidence in the flesh. It's the, for us, it's the trusting in the God who is true, has committed himself, faithfulness to his promises. For Jesus, the man who had the most knowledge of God, the most prophetic promises and destiny over his life, commits himself to walk that out in trusting his Father. Say, your way, your will be done. And he trusts God for the resurrection. Faith. But also, it's a demonstration to all of those around to see it. It's the same for us. The supreme revelation of the knowledge of God is found in that, that cross, the Messiah hanging there. This is what God is like. This is how we know what God is like. And it should be replicated in the life of the believer in as we're pursuing understanding and clarity in the gospel and in the scriptures, in the revelation of God, it should result in faith, trust, reliance on God. And it should result in the pattern. If we're crucified with Christ, maybe... A lot of that is the humbling of our own pride to trust in God. But then the other side of it is God wants to put you on display for those that are around you. The crucifixion, just like the, the public service announcement from the Romans, right? It's a public service announcement, so to speak. For This is the, this is the pattern of the one that we follow after. And this is how we express the knowledge of God by walking in the, the way that he walked, by entrusting ourselves to God and by refusing to rise up in our own strength and then also to, to walk in that way of self-denial, self-sacrificial love. Clarity in the gospel. I, I, I know uh, a lot of times when we, we're talking about knowledge issues, um, it, sessions kind of end up sounding like anti-intellectual, like we don't, knowledge is not important, we don't need to, to search things out, and a lot of people kind of write that off, but this is not, this is not it. There is way more clarity to be had in the gospel. 
But clarity is about trust and entrustment. Clarity is about driving us to, to cast all of our reliance in God and to be entrusted with that pattern of walking like Jesus walked in this age. So as we're pursuing the knowledge of God and clarity in the gospel, as we're studying the scriptures, as we're uh, having dialogues and questions and answers, and you guys are feeding on, like David said, feeding on the grain bin or, or you're doing word studies or whatever it is, as we're searching and, and grasping that for understanding, it should lead us to trust and entrustment. Reliance. I've seen uh, so many times in in my life and and uh, in folks that I, I'm with, and there's this thing of we start getting clarity on an issue, and then we're so quick to to kind of form this group based around this knowledge that we have. And then we start kind of looking down on all these other people. And we start kind of, you start making judgment calls about other people's heart and understanding and all of these other things. And it's like, it, it's, it's so easy to gravitate towards that because that's what's within us. And we have to ask the question, are we actually touching the knowledge of God the way it is in the scripture? The knowledge of God that leads to trust it leads to entrustment so the next the the next part here point five pursuit entrustment and pattern this is uh the i'm not going to get through all of this uh, by any means but I, i just was looking at it here that most of these passages are in the the pastoral epistles and first and second timothy um, because I'm looking at Paul's instruction to Timothy specifically. Um, and so we, we see in this instruction um, the closest thing to, to uh, Paul's exhortation related to pursuing the knowledge of God and the gospel and stewarding it according with the pattern of faith. Timothy, Timothy is serving as a teacher. Just read this passage here, 1 Timothy 1. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction, or, or some translations say command, is love. This love we see, um, we see Jesus speaking of, of love. I, I believe it's connected to the, the way he's talking about the what is the greatest commandment. And he quotes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Luke 10, Jesus actually equates the two. He just says them together. And in Judaism of the day, that was that was very common thing of the the love of neighbor was evidenced of love of God. And so they they go hand in hand. It's the two sides of the same coin. And and Jesus in the passage there in Luke ten, he actually quotes just one. The goal of our instruction is love from three channels. A pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. A pure heart refers to repeated defilement, repeatedly cleansed away. It's forgiveness and cleansing for continual confession of sin. In the Gospels, um, this, this, uh, the words here used in the Gospels to refer to the, the cleaning of the cups in Matthew 23. It's an issue of repentance. It's that there's a repeated defilement that the knowledge of God should lead us to repentance. Should lead us to that continued uh, true assessment of who God is and true assessment of who we are in light of Him and our life before Him. Good conscience is an honest self-evaluation of conduct, obedience rather than disobedience. And the sincere faith is the trust and reliance that's genuine and without hypocrisy. So Paul says the goal of our instruction, all of the instruction that he's giving Timothy regarding the gospel, the truth, the word of truth, the message concerning the knowledge of God, all of that instruction results in, should result in love. Love of God, love of neighbor. so desperate for God's grace as we pursue understanding the scriptures understanding of the gospel we need him because our hearts are wicked and they gravitate towards self-exaltation they gravitate towards uh, relating to the things that we know or understand, and even in doing that, we're actually we're failing to actually come to terms with what knowing God is. Knowing God should lead us to trust and confidence, repentance, and casting ourselves on the mercy of God. It should lead us to conforming our lives to the pattern that we see in Christ and Him crucified, and that that actually carrying itself out in in self-sacrificial love towards others. 
And it's so easy to to orient around these these ideas of knowledge and assume that that because we possess this or that 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 we we understand something and now we we have it right and and the human heart always is looking for that that way out that that bypasses repentance and trust it's the very fundamental piece of what took place in the garden was the bypassing of trust and reliance on God. So you guys can read some of those passages in the way that Paul is exhorting Timothy in his being absorbed in studying of the scriptures and and keeping his heart in the, the message of the gospel, but also being entrusted with that pattern of life that's consistent with it, that that actually uh, exemplifies it before others in the way that Jesus walked. Amen. I just want to pray for us. Father, we need you. We confess that we're desperate for the grace, the instruction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to lead us to put no confidence in ourselves, to put no confidence in our intellect or to in our abilities, perceptions, wisdom, Lord, that we would relate to you as the God of truth. By putting our trust in you. By conforming our lives in denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following after you. Help us, God. Give us clarity in the gospel. Count us worthy to be entrusted with it, to bear it faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.